Hello, everyone. This is Benel with the J6 Insurrection Podcast. It is November 20th, 2023, and the gag order hearing with the appellate court in Washington, D.C. was this morning at 9.30, um, and uh, to say the least, it was extremely interesting, and the judges that were uh, presiding was Judge Millett, Garcia, and Pillard, and I'm going to go over them in more detail, but there were three judges and two females, one male. I was very happy to see a um, Hispanic man, Mr. Garcia, very good looking, and the two females were, um, they were uh, there, and it was at times very um, direct and to the point, and the questions were uh, detailed and very specific. Of course, the uh, the reason that we were all there was to uh, find out because right now the gag order in Washington D.C. for the January sixth trial. Um, you know, Jack Smith uh, filed his motion right away to. Um, lift the temporary ban because it was uh, the gag order was temporarily lifted because uh, Trump's attorneys appealed it. So the trial was this morning and it was right out of the gate, uh, very um, sharp. So I'm going to begin with the uh, attorney, John Sauer. Uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name because he mumbled the entire time. I couldn't really understand what he was saying. He talks really fast and he's got a big brown spot on his face. I couldn't stop from looking at that and he's ugly. So uh, for some reason, John Loro, uh, who's Trump's main attorney, didn't say a word. He just sat there and Actually, he was sitting directly right in front of me um, with all the other eight henchmen that uh, protect um, the attorneys. And then old Jack Smith was to my left. Uh, very, I was very happy to see him up close. I've never seen him in person. And he looks exactly like he does in the pics that you see of him online. He's a tall man, very good looking, very... Um, very brooding and uh, very good looking. And, and you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I think he's, you know, because he's an intelligent man, that's kind of why I think he's good looking. But um, he didn't really say much. He was just sitting there with his um, eight other um, colleagues. I don't know if they were attorneys or not, but he was sitting kind of in the bench behind the attorneys where the other spectators sit. So it was an interesting um, cast of characters that were in the courtroom. So Mr. John Sauer, he started, you know, he's going to make his appeal to court. So he was the first at bat and I'm gonna read what he said. I think it's important to hear firsthand, you know, we're not allowed to bring electronic devices into the courtroom. So it's difficult to be frantically writing and trying to hear what Marble Mouth is saying because I couldn't hear it. And I was asking uh, my friend to my right, who 
um, whose name is Holly. She's this lady that I met a couple trials ago and you know, we just talk about the case when we're in the trial and it's interesting to hear other civilians and citizens um, take on the trial. So this is Mr. John Sorrow's appeal. This is what he began uh, the day with. So um, he'd like to please the court appearing on behalf of Donald J. Trump. A gag order is a filter for core speech for a leading presidential candidate and virtually every voter in the United States. It's unprecedented and sets a terrible precedent for political speech. The Supreme Court said we never allowed, we are never allowed the government to prohibit candidates from communicating relevant information to voters and it's not the role of the government to dictate what topics are appropriate or necessary to discuss in the context of a political campaign. The gag order does both of those things. Cases involving gag orders imposed on criminal defendants who are political candidates have both given, in the words of Brown, the candidate, quote, absolute freedom, virtually unrespected ability to comment on those occasions in front of them and public the campaign as it relates today. So this is a radical departure from the only case that's considered this form of restriction does so in the contest of a whole hotly contested campaign for the highest office in the United States of America. In addition, the gag order, another unprecedented break with that jurisprudence, relies completely, completely on a heckler's veto theory. Doesn't say, hey, your students are going to poison the jury pool by communicating directly with the, directly with, you know, the members of the jury pool. What you have here is irrational, says that this speech targeted by the gag order, there's no evidence of this, but might someday inspire some third party to engage in action that might be harassment to witnesses. This is a quintessential heckler's veto and categorically unconstitutional. If you look at the heckler's veto cases, the argument we have compelling reason to do this because the speech that we want to suppress is going to inspire rioting, violence, injury, death, whatever it is. And the Supreme Court says again and again, you cannot do that. All the gag order cases relied on the government do not address this particular heckler's veto kind of rationale for criminalizing speech and the Supreme Court has held again to silence anyone and that goes back to at least the city of New York in the 1860s. So that is what John Sauer, old uh, moleface, he started his appeal with. And I take offense to everything that he started out with because we should not be here because Donald J. Trump, the ex-president, should not even be a candidate for president, right? Because the courts have already decided that he's an insurrectionist based on the Colorado filing and the um, decision that the judge has, has rendered. So whether he um, should have a gag or shouldn't have a gag, their argument is that he's in, a, he's in the midst of a political campaign for the highest office in the land. And I uh, argue that he shouldn't even be a candidate. And the only reason that he is a candidate is because him and his 
um, senators and House of Republicans are too weak and morally corrupt that they will not stand up to a bully who has pretty much uh, laid the groundwork for a coup to take over the United States government. And the reason that Jack Smith has to appeal again and again and again is because the leaders in the Senate and the House who are supposed to be protecting the Constitution fail to do their job, right? Because if you think about it, Trump shouldn't even be a candidate, period. End of discussion. But unfortunately, they have failed to do their job. He continues to go down that road, which is sad and, and pathetic, to be quite honest. And sitting there and listening to these blowhards, these bloviating attorneys slice up words and slice up the meaning of everything um, at the detriment of the United States and the federal government is sad. And everybody is kind of watching and standing around waiting for someone, an adult, to say, listen, this can't go on any further. And that is what the Senate's role and the House of Republicans' role is supposed to be. But unfortunately, they are all derelict of their duty, and they're arguing that the 14th Amendment, Section 3, doesn't apply to them, which is absurd and, and honestly unbelievable that we're at this point. But that is where we are. So that was John Sorrow. So the first argument from Judge Millett um, the female judge sitting in the center um, in front of the courtroom, her first, um, I guess, argument was uh, she wanted to, uh, for John Sorrow to answer the question. If this was a year ago and we uh, be in the middle uh, or the midst of a political campaign, she was like, hypothetically, if we were in the middle of a campaign or were not in the middle of a campaign a year ago, would Trump's speech still be protected under the First Amendment? And, you know, she kept saying, if, you know, is he engaged in political speech? So would your position uh, be different a year ago? And then they were like, well, you know, would the gag order reply? Would your position be different? And then, um, you know, he was like, Sorrow was like, the fact that we have a campaign going on does not matter. What matters to you, and this is still political speech, which gets very high protection. And I think that was the that was the theme of the day was how do they balance political speech and First Amendment rights? And I would argue that he shouldn't even be given the um, the liberty to say whatever he wants because he's in the middle of a political speech. And they're, once again, trying to slice up words. Like, can he say that you're a slimy um, uh, loser? Those are the exact words. You know, hypothetically, if Trump was to call somebody a slimy liar was the word. Is that political speech? And then um, uh, Jack Smith's counsel uh, Mr. Vander, Mr. Van de Vander, Van de Vander, Cecil Van de Vander. That was, uh, that's an interesting name, but he's Jack Smith's, you know, special counsel who was kind of running the show for the prosecutor. 
And, you know, they were saying, well, is that, is, would that be considered, you know, how do we balance um, political speech and the First Amendment right? And so they were going back and forth. And then they were saying, you know, well, the icing on the cake, as far as you're concerned, so your position would be exactly the same without a political campaign. So they were saying that he could say whatever he wants, regardless of if there's a political campaign going on or not. And then John Sarwell was like, I would say it's the crown jewel of a series of at least seven. And then the judge came back, the crown jewel. You think the outcome should be exactly the same, whether or not there's a political campaign underway? John Sarwell said, yes, I believe there are at least seven independent precepts that are violated by the SCAG order, and the campaign speech is one heckler speech is another one. And if we had the same gag order dealing with the dealing core political speech, and again, still dealing with the situation, we have a restriction on criticism of public figures that violates the public doctrine and unconstitutional. I'm sorry, your honor, that's what he said. So she came back and said, Mr. Sorrow, you said your client is in the midst of a campaign, but prior restraint to whom it would apply is subject to the highest level of constitutional scrutiny. That's your argument? Absolutely. And so I also trust that you agree that your client is not above the law that applies to all other Americans. The First Amendment principally applies to everyone. He's certainly not above the law. So I, I, once again, just like in the last trial when the gag order was placed on, on him in Judge Chutkin's uh, trial, the, the issue was how do we balance political speech and First Amendment rights. And this is semantics, and this is slicing and dicing up what a child can or cannot say. He is a grown man, and he should have enough fucking sense to not, you know, and then the judge also was like, you know, this is unprecedented, and no defendant in the history of the world, especially United States law, and jurisprudence has a defendant went above and beyond to break the gag order or to to disparage the prosecutors, their families, the public, um, generals, and court employees and federal employees. There has never been an asshole that had been so brazen that would ever do this. And that's kind of why we are where we are. Because Trump, who's a petulant child and a baby, doesn't have enough fucking sense that th we have to have a room full of people and judges and lawyers figure out what this unbridled idiot can and cannot say. All this other stuff is just bluster. And to have to kind of slice and dice out the words of what he can and cannot say is absolutely ridiculous. And, you know, I'm not going to bore you with what was going on in the courtroom, but it was just a back and forth about how, um, what he can and what he can't say. And then, you know, a lot of the judges were like, well, if he said this hypothetically, um, would that count? And of course, um, John Sauer, he was like, you know, 
Trump can say whatever he wants because he's a political candidate and he, you know, he's on the, he's on the stump and, and of course all campaigns are heated and, you know, they throw, um, they throw comments at each other and, you know, this and that. And, and then, at, you know, and I kind of thought that the judge, um, Pillard was kind of playing good cop, bad cop. Because I felt that she was really in favor of Trump's side of the argument. Because she was holding Vander, Van, Van de Vander, um, the Jack Smith's attorney, uh, the prosecuting attorney, feet to the fire more than... Um, and I, I, I kind of rolled my eyes a couple of times because I'm like, why is she... Um, bias because I felt that she was and she kept she kept going in and going in and in my notes I was like because she kept asking the same question over and over and over and I'm like well why, why does she continue to do that and I was I'm like well first of all he's a defendant it's not like he's just some guy in court and he's trying to get his license back that's not what Trump is Trump is a defendant in a trial that is out on bail and he is threatening and um, lying about everybody and anything he can. And that is, that is at the foundation of why we are where we are, to be quite honest. And all this other stuff is just ridiculous. So, okay, so let's get back to kind of well, wrap up the court because, to be quite honest, it was, you know, they talked about different court cases like Brown versus the USA and Gentile and um, in the, I'll just quote the Gentile case was, you know, the Gentile case goes on to say of Shepard, a case about a trial court's obligation expressly contemplated that the speech of those participating before the courts could be limited. And you've mentioned Landmark. It's that concern, a sanction on the press, and footnote nine, and you know, they just go on and on. And our job here is to read the Supreme Court cases, and it seems like they're drawing a very clear line of participants and non-participants. And that was Judge Garcia. And, but once again, if you know anything about this appeal case, it was really, the judges trying to understand the balance. What is the balancing between the defendant and the prosecution? And how on earth can they kind of determine what Trump can and can't say? And I'm thinking, why does a court have to decide that? He is an adult. He should know for the good of the nation what he can and can't say, but what he is essentially doing, doing is trying to burn the house down once again. He's already tried burning down the Capitol, but this is now him trying to burn down the foundation because, you, because that's what he's doing. And everybody else is just standing around handing him wood so that he could add it to the fire. And it's ridiculous for us to even be in this, at this point because at the, at the core of what is really happening 
is that he is trying to burn the house down once again. And they can lift the gag order, they cannot lift the gag order. He is a defendant out on bail. You think that if there was any defendant out there on bail, and you watch these these shows on YouTube or whatever where they kick down your door if you're on parole or if you're on bail and you know they go in your house with guns and they you know they arrest you for for whatever failing a piss test or you didn't go to your case you know your trial or you missed a court date they'll fucking drag your ass back into jail and lock you up so why are they giving this clown this game show host the liberty to be able to do whatever he wants. And I believe that they're doing it because it's the president. He was a president, quote unquote, president, which does carry some weight to it. But he forfeited that luxury years ago. Most specifically on January 6, 2021, when he decided to become a traitor and, and stage a coup in the form of an insurrection, which the Colorado judge already decided that's what he did. But you, don't, you already know that. We already know that. All this other stuff is just, like I said, it's just a bunch of nonsense. So at one point, one of the judges, I believe it was uh, Pillard, she was trying to balance what Trump can and can't say. And they were saying, well, you know, Jack Smith, he, um, and I'm going to read it exactly what she said, because I think it's important, um, you know, that, that Trump can't mention Jack Smith, people in the United States, given the number of files, the easiest way to check Smith. Surely he has thick enough skin and doubt that he will not I'm not sure I see the district court having made any discussions or even all of that, something supportive. Of, of course, the court wanted to make sure the jury is not and how they view it. So they, she was basically saying that, you know, Trump can continue to say that Jack Smith is um, a thug, which I think is ridiculous because she's ignoring the fact that he's a defendant. He can't just say whatever he wants, regardless if he is a um, a political candidate for the presidency, which he should not be, and I've already said that. But to say that that Jack Smith has thick skin and he should be able to take it—that's fucking bullshit, and should never even have been mentioned. Because I was—I took notice of that. I'm like, why does Jack Smith and his family have to continue to take the insults and the threats from Donald Trump? Case in point, look at the trial that just happened in California, San Francisco, with that crazy asshole that went after Mr. Pelosi with a hammer and was looking for Nancy Pelosi, right? And who did Trump have a hard-on for? Nancy Pelosi. And what would Trump's allies always say? Where's Nancy at the Capitol when they were there on January 6th? Where's Nancy? So Trump continues to make fun of that guy, Pelosi, that got his head bashed in with a hammer. That's what they're trying to understand. So Jack Smith should have thick skin and not worry about somebody running around, uh, taking what Trump's rhetoric is seriously and an attack. I even think 
and worry that Trump would have some crazy cult follower following me around. Honestly, because you just don't know. So, and I'm a nobody. So imagine what they feel like, Jack Smith and his family and his team and Judge Chutkin and, and all the other judges and Garan and, you know, they're threatened. So they shouldn't have to have thick skin, quote unquote, with the Judge Pollard said. It's ridiculous. People shouldn't have to worry about having thick skin because there's some psychopath running around um, trying to uh, take Trump's words uh, to heart. It's unconscionable and it's ridiculous. So of course, Judge, um, I believe it was Millet, had brought up um, Trump's uh, tweet or whatever it's called about Mark Milley, the joint chairman of the ex-joint, former joint chief of the, um, I always forget his title, the chairman of the joint chief of staff, Mark Milley, retired, uh, and how that would affect him as a, as a witness, because Mark Milley is a witness and he's probably going to testify because he, Trump tried to corrupt the military by getting him to do things that he disagreed with and there's evidence to support that and the judge was like well do you think that the post is you know um is going to uh you know affect millie in any way and they were they were baffled by it which i once again was confused i'm like first of all Trump shouldn't be writing, because that's essentially what he's doing. He's writing. It's like, I know it's, everybody talks about tweets and this and that, but it's essentially like him writing a letter, putting a stamp on it, mailing it to his house, Mark Milley opening it up, reading it, and then being like, who the fuck wrote this letter? It's the same principle. So yes, Mark Milley is going to be affected and all the other witnesses and potential witnesses and potential jurors are going to be affected by the big mouths, um, by the big mouth, Trump. And, 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 the, and that's the part where I was confused by this appeals trial today. I'm like, why don't they understand that he's a defendant and any other defendant wouldn't be given the leniency that this fucking game show host has. It's ridiculous. Okay, so I'm gonna close up that uh, appeals case because you know who knows how long their finding and their decision's gonna take. I, I have no idea. But one of the things that I want to talk about uh, before I end was, you know, these trials are really interesting because, you know, it's like the who's who of media or whatever. But I ran into um, uh, Mr. Glenn Kirshner, who is the host of um, his podcast. Um, oh, my God. Why do I always forget his podcast name? Justice Matters. That's it. I, I, for some reason, when I see him, I always get a little uh, flippant, uh, you know, like flustered. But he's a great guy, and I was able to um, 
once again introduce myself because I've met him before, but I wanted to reintroduce myself. But I had my hat and my hat on. It was freezing in D.C., so you know I was like in my cognito winter coat, whatever. And he was giving a, a report to MSNBC, so him and I walked. You know, um, I invited myself to walk with him down the street to his next gig, and we were talking, and and I, uh, you know, voiced that I'm. You know, I really admire what he's doing because Glenn Kirshner, the host of um, Justice Matters, is a great patriot. And not only that, but he's a he's a veteran, an Army veteran. So him and I, you know, I'm a Navy veteran. So him and I kind of we're looking at this very differently than say your average asshole reporter from God knows where. You know, like legacy media or whatever. They're biased and they don't have. Uh, America's interests uh, or the Constitution um, in the back of their mind. But see, what makes Glenn Kirshner unique and a patriot is that he understands the Constitution. He was a, a attorney general, you know, he was a lawyer for, for and it, I, don't, I don't know if he still practices, but, you know, he was a prosecuting attorney for the Department of Justice for like 30 years or something. So he knows what he's talking about. And if you need to understand what's going on in this trial, you need to listen to Justice Matters because he ha knows a thing or two about a thing or two. And, you know, I told him, I said, you know, as a Navy veteran, I, I don't see the media, you know, defending the Constitution or, or even mentioning how Trump, who was the commander in chief, is a traitor. And he has committed treason. And I'm sorry, but when you're, when you're a military person and you raise your right hand to the oath and you swear to protect, defend, and support the Constitution, that that means a great deal. Why? Because essentially what you've done is you've signed on the dotted line and said, I'm going to give my life, my life. I'm going to give you my life. So I will die for you. And that means a lot. But unfortunately, in today's government, specifically the GOP mega cult, they think it's some sort of a punchline to be, to be mocked and to be, to be humiliated because they don't take it seriously, right? And they are unserious people for serious business. And it's unfortunate the Republican Party, whatever you want to call them now, they have been going around and around the toilet and they're about to go down the toilet, circling the drain for about 40 plus years. And they have been on a tear for that long. And we're kind of at the apex of it right now. And they're at their last stand and you can decipher that however you want, but it's kind of like having a rat in the corner. They're going to defend their territory. And you look no further than what is going on with that party. And I wouldn't even call them a party anymore. They're not even, they're not even a reputable party. They're a cult. And I'm sorry, but the Constitution doesn't protect a cult. That is not their job. They have roles, they have responsibilities, they have duties, 
and they're all, every last one of them, are derelict of their duty. And, and that really is what Trump has done. He has broken his oath, he is derelict of his duty, he has turned the American people against each other, and, and he, is, he is a problem that has to be dealt with. And if, and you know, and they're like, well, you know, we'll wait till the election and see what happens. No, this shit needs to be settled now. And unfortunately, the leaders, the supposed leaders that are in the Senate and the House of Representatives are derelict of their duty as well. So they need to stand down. And I would say resign. They need to leave and appoint somebody else that can read and understand what the Constitution is. It doesn't say, the Constitution doesn't say um, to berate and to, um, and to be a traitor. It doesn't say that. But that's what they've interpreted it to be, which is unfortunate. But anyway, um, like I said, the appellate case today was uneventful. Who knows what's going to happen? And, um, you know, we are where we are. And I'm going to try to see what else is going on. But every day it's a new story. But anyway, everyone have a wonderful day. And I will, uh, I will chat with you later. Bye-bye.